This one's going to be good, y'all. It's going to be real good. In fact, this sermon has two titles. The first one I've shared with you, Love the One You're With. And the second alternate title is Sister Wives. I see the puzzled look on your faces. You're trying to connect the dots. Hopefully by the time we're done, we will have connected the dots for you as well as untangled some knots for you. Uh, I think we should go with love the one you're with. How about that? Let's go with love the one you're with part two. Excuse me. Love the one you're with part two. Let's pray and then we're going to dive into the word. Father, we thank you for your precious holy word and we thank you for your promise that your word will never return to you void, but it will always prosper in the thing where unto it is sent. Lord, we draw near to your word now with reverence and with open hearts. God, help us to see what we need to see, not necessarily in others, but in ourselves. That God, through your word, we will be willing to take the log out of our own eye without first trying to take the speck out of our brother's eye. So, Father, may this word be a word of introspection where we look inward at ourselves so that we can love others well. We trust you for that now. Precious Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. Instruct us now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, so this is week three of Radical Love, You Before Me, and I found it kind of unusual. I think most people find it unusual that we would start a whole series on love and not even tap into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? That's like the automatic go-to passage when it comes to love. I've done countless weddings, and that's like the default scripture. And, uh, but we came from a different angle, a different perspective as we started this series, but we felt as we were going to communicate this message, love the one you're with, part two, that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 would be a great place to start because it kind of gives us uh, the frame for what the God kind of love looks like. I know that one of the, uh, my wife's favorite translations is the message paraphrase, and I know you have visited that often and in your counseling with others, you often encourage them to spend time 30 days. Uh, especially when they're struggling with their love walk in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And you often recommend the message, the message paraphrase. And, uh, and so that's what we've chosen for our anchor text this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, actually, uh, I think we'll begin reading from right at about verse 3 uh, instead of verse 1. Uh, or do you want to start at verse 1? Where would you like to start? Well, you know, in the message, they group them. So in the New King James, it would have been verse four, but in the message, they kind of group it. All right. Let's start there in verse four and um, and uh, let's spend some time there. And uh, again, this is a word about introspection and it will help us to see where we may be falling short. Mm -hmm. All right. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than self. Somebody say you before me. You before me. There it is. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelling head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first. Somebody say you before me. You before me. There it is. 
doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything. Stop right there. Say that again. Puts up with anything. Read that again. Puts up with anything. For good measure, one last time, just in case, just in case somebody was distracted with a text message. I don't want any of us to miss it. Puts up with anything. Mm -hmm. I want to add something to that, but I'll finish. (laughs) Trusts God always. Good. Always looks for the best. Good. Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies or fails. And I wanted to, puts up with anything. Remember, God is not, he's not confused about his word. So uh, anything that is outside of the plan and purpose and order of God is sin. So if you're being physically abused, that is not what that scripture is saying. You're not to, to, to put up with that. You're to get help. If you have an unyielding spouse that has a stronghold with uh, infidelity, is, uh, that is not the end-all, be-all. As long as they're willing to get help, but you still need to have boundaries for your physical health. So puts up with anything does not mean that you accept abuse. The definition of abuse is abnormal use of a thing. So even if you have a girlfriend relationship, if if Anita and I are friends, but every time she's trying to do something nice for me, you know, I've always got something to say. I can never uh, reciprocate. The abnormal use of a friendship is abusive. So puts up with anything means to be long-suffering, but you know the limitations. When, when you start on the inside, when your spirit is like, mm, I don't know about this. You don't have to be ugly, but you can have a healthy boundary and still walk in love. So this puts up with anything is not for somebody to say, you see, Pastor Ray and Wendy said, put up with anything, so I'm just going to do whatever. No, and then you don't abuse the grace of God by doing certain kinds of things and like you need to be long suffering and loving. And so we want to in teaching, I know that you are not ignorant of the word, but we do have teenagers in here. And what I don't want my 13 year old daughter to say is, okay, well, mommy and daddy said puts up with anything. And then she gets into some abusive, some kind of weird, uh, twisted, codependent type relationships because We didn't expound on what we meant. So we're expounding a little more today. We're not meeting with the teams because I teach the teams. We're in here, so we are not questioning your spiritual maturity, but there is time uh, for teaching. That's what Sunday morning is for. And if you're wondering why I keep a cloth on me, it's because I do come from that old school kind of church kind of thing. And I just feel, because I have on pants and not a long skirt, I just don't want my lap to be a distraction to anybody. Not that it would, but <laughs> you got lap and flowers and trying to keep my ankles crossed and everything. So if it's just hidden behind the cloak of anointing, then everybody can say focus on the word. But somebody may, you know, we have different faiths. People might say, well, why does she have this thing here? It's just... It's just appropriate, especially because I'm giving the word, it's appropriate to be covered as a woman. Um, You don't want to be a distraction. 
We're in the community to minister to people. And if somebody is thinking, it's February, why does she have summer pants on? That could really make them miss the word of God. You know, the sun shone yesterday, so I just thought, hey, I'm just going to wear the pants to show my raw shoes that I got for in October. So, you know, it's different things that can throw people off. But back to the word of God is is uh, love never looks back. It keeps on going to the end. To have healthy boundaries doesn't mean we aren't walking in love. No, and I'm glad you qualified what I said. I emphasize, pu- emphasize puts up with anything, but even God gave us, gave us boundaries yeah. and showed us, communicated to us what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. Uh, when I said put up with, puts up with anything or ask you to emphasize puts up with anything, yes. We're saying that in the context of what God says is acceptable. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Most of us give up and quit for trivial reasons. And we call them irreconcilable differences. Puts up with anything means that you are willing to work toward resolution within the confines and the boundaries that God has given us in his word. That's what we mean by puts up with anything. And just so you know, I wasn't correcting my husband in public forum. I was expounding for the youth, but I just feel like I need that can get twisted, too. So I wasn't going behind him in correcting. I was just expounding. Keep going. Right. So 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 I appreciate you sharing that. Um, So we want to talk about a couple of thoughts here this morning. Radical love you before me and what that sacrificial look love looks like putting others before self. We're talking about this specifically as it relates to interpersonal relationships between a husband and wife, specifically. And then we're going to move on to a few things over the next several weeks. But this is specifically for those of you who are married or engaged or maybe dating. Uh, Now, uh, some of these principles are transferable. You can use them in any interpersonal relationship that you have, but we're going to speak primarily in the context of marriage. Are you all with us? Yes. All right. So here we go. Uh, we're we're going to call what we're going to talk about the next few minutes uh, the Ten Commandments for a Miserable Marriage. <laughs> That's what we're going to give you. The recipe. Ten ingredients for a miserable, horrible, unbearable marriage. And and, and as we do that now, this is about introspection. I'm going to be checking myself as well. I'm going to be checking to see where I fall short. I'm going to be checking to see if I'm taking ingredients off the pantry shelf and pouring them into the bowl of my marriage to contribute to the marriage that some of us are beginning to resent. The marriage we often resent is not the result of what somebody else has done. It is the result of what the people in the marriage covenant have chosen to do or what they have chosen not to do. So these Ten Commandments are an opportunity for you to consider which of these ingredients are your go-to ingredients when you have relational conflict that you pull off the shelf and pour into the bowl of your relationship and wonder why the cake tastes the way it does. Because nobody is mixing the batter of your marriage but you. 
Ten Commandments for a miserable marriage. And why is that? Usually it's because someone in that marriage is selfish and unwilling to yield and has refused to make that choice, you before me. Go ahead. As Ray and I were going over this, I am not a person um, given to sarcasm. I just absolutely don't like it. So we were going over this. I was like, these commandments, they just getting smart. And I just heard on the inside, it's not sarcasm. These are attention getters. And so I had to bow my personal preference to also receive the message. So I wanted to put that out there. I don't want you to dismiss it. I was almost wanting to dismiss it because it wasn't wrapped in a nice little tidy box that I think it should have been wrapped in. And I don't get those choices. Not in in wanting to hear from God. I can either have it my way or I can listen to God. And I will myself to trump my way. So I don't want you to dismiss the attention getters. And this is also not for you to tap your spouse's foot during the message. This is for you and you alone to evaluate, hey, mm, I need to do something about that. If something arises that you uh, see in your spouse, that is a great opportunity for prayer. Prayer is great, but you need to go into prayer with the word of God. And you can see me after church and we can find some word to to stand on because you don't just want to pray, 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 talk to the Lord. There is a word for you to stand on. So we want everybody to just have an open mind so that at the end of the message, you can close it on the truth of God's word. But it's going to be fun. We're going to get some chuckles out of it, but don't dismiss it. If you want to be married, this is a, a good learning time for our young people who want to be in relationships. And when you see certain behaviors or certain patterns, you can say, ooh, I learned at church. Mm-mm. Ray can tell you I, I uh, do very well. I kind of fuss about the dishes, but I, I, I do my best keeping the kitchen clean, and I just fuss about who doesn't help me, and I hold withhold allowance and everything. But at 14 years old, a missionary came to our church, little old Mount Isle Baptist Church in Ypsilanti, Michigan, and she was speaking to the wives, and she said, Wives, don't do the dishes because your husband is so good. Don't cook because he's so wonderful. Do it because you love Jesus. At 14, I remember that. And so I do my best. Notice the overwhelmingly enthusiastic response from the ladies. <laughs> Wow, they almost blew my ears up. We're closing our mind on the truth. And when you're closing your mind on the truth, sometimes your mouth is closed too. So that's all right. It's out there. The truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. You just turn it loose. Come on, girl. Preach. All right. No, good word. Very good word. All right. So here's here's my admonition to you. Some of what we're going to say this morning is not groundbreaking, earth shattering. You're going to say, man, I already know that. You wasted my time, Pastor Reed. Let me tell you something about that. It's not the word you know that transformed you. It's the words you live. Thank you, baby. Thank you, baby. So the admonition for everybody who's like, I already know that. Are you living it, though? Hmm? And understand we pray. We don't just pull out a message. 
Well, Ray is mostly speaking. We didn't just pull out a message just to teach you. If this is a message that God has given him, then that means that's a message that we need. So we have not yet graduated from this, and it starts with us. Thank you, baby. So commandment number one. Y'all ready? Be as critical as you can. Just be as critical as you can. When you don't like the way the food tastes, the way she folded the clothes, the way she keeps the closet, just be as critical about her or about him as you can. Scripture says in Proverbs that the fool vents all of his feelings. If you're that type of person who says, well, I just speak my mind. The scriptures, not Ray Harmon, call such a person who has no restraint with their words a fool. Scripture says, but a wise man studies how to answer. That word in the, that's translated study in the, in the King James simply means considers. He ponders how to answer. So if, if you really want to have a horrible, miserable marriage, just go to that box in your marriage pantry that says criticism and just pour as much into the bowl as possible. And this is what happens when we're critical. Criticism is an ideal way to keep your partner's defenses on high alert. That means as soon as you open your mouth, your spouse puts up their dukes. And even when you're trying to say something that is positive and uplifting because of the pattern of criticism that you have built into the relationship, as soon as you open your mouth to talk, their filter comes up and their dukes come up. And even if you're saying something kind, they can't hear it because you have established a pattern of criticism and now they're on high alert. As soon as you open your mouth, they're ready for a fight and they can't hear what you're saying. But you did it, though. Be as critical as possible. Disparaging words when you are angry or frustrated will stimulate their fight or flight response. If you ritually play the blame and shame game, your marriage will be safe from the anxiety of being happy. Notice that. Yeah, I'll get to that here in a second. It is what a critical mouth will produce in your marriage. A partner who is always on high alert. And there can't be any intimacy. Number two. (sighs) Expect your partner to be just like you. You say, well, Pastor Ria, I already know that. But notice the conversations that you have with them. That most of the conversations that you have with them are conversations where you are critical about their differences. You ain't doing it the way that I would do it. And you're trying to make your partner just like you, and it becomes the root of all criticism, when the very thing that you're criticizing is the thing that makes them unique. And the thing that makes them unique is the thing that should, should make the marriage work. Let me tell you what you do, what we do when we criticize others. We criticize who they are. 
That's what we're doing. We're trying to tell somebody that the way you are is not good enough, and I wish you were just like me. Every time you criticize someone's differences, you're saying the way you are is not good enough. Change. Yet that's the way God created them. Recipe for a horrible, miserable marriage. Expect your partner to be just like you. Number three, (laughs) avoid intimacy as much as possible by engaging in exits. And all the exits, some of the exits that we have in our relationships and marriages are not physical. It's not only about you leaving the house. Many of us check out whenever there is a confrontation. You engage in activities that help you escape from the day-to-day intimacy within your relationship. You engage in any activity or thought or feeling that decreases or avoids emotional or physical involvement with your partner. And then you also increase functional exits such as carpooling and work and taking care of the kids. You look for distractions. This will only help magnify the distance between you and your partner. We talked about this last week that in relational conflict, most couples turn and look for relief instead of fighting for resolution. Most of us settle for relief. If I can get a temporary escape to exit this painful conversation, then I'll be better. And we never fight for resolution. I'm going through these quickly because we're going to get to a particular passage of Scripture where we'll end our message. Number four, when you're upset, use you language as much as possible. That's what most of us do. Instead of speaking about how a certain action or event or word has impacted me, we point the finger and say, you, 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 you. And it goes back to the whole idea of criticism and our significant other living on defense. It's a big deal. So even though Wendy and I are pastors, we've been married 16 years, we had to learn better communication skills. And so here's one of the communication skills that we had to learn. How are you going to be grown, Harry, and learning how to communicate? And some of us are unwilling to do that. We think we know everything. And as we're sitting across from somebody who was a referee helping us navigate our conflict, one of the things he pointed out is y'all use a whole lot of you language. And so he says, maybe you should try this. When X happened, I felt Y, I need Z. Nobody said anything about what you did and what you said. No, 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 no. When X happened, I felt Y. This is how I felt when this thing happened. I'm not pointing a finger at Wendy. I'm not accusing Wendy of anything. I'm taking responsibilities for, responsibilities for my emotional quotient and how I felt and how I was impacted when X happened. And that's where some people never even get there. But notice the Z. 
Most of us never even get to the point where we are willing to communicate to our partner what we need. When X happened, this is what I felt, this is what I need. And part of the problem in relationships is couples don't even know what they need. If you want to have a horrible marriage, point the finger and always say, you, 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 you. It's a recipe for a horrible marriage that nobody but you are creating. Okay. Yes. Number five. And this is a good, this is where the self-reflection comes in, is for you to think about, okay, what is it that I need? What is it that I desire? And we don't have to keep putting... um, disclaimers on everything. This is through the context of that we are Christ's followers. If I say, when you did this, I felt, that doesn't give uh, Ray the right to say, well, you felt wrong. You can't feel that. That don't even make any kind of sense. And so just validating, because we're operating out of reasonableness, that I felt this, then that is a, 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 an opportunity for your partner to say, well, why did you feel that way? Let them be able to articulate why they felt that way. Levi, he'll get so, he'll just be so upset. So I, I cleaned up his room a couple weeks ago, and I am very, um, I'm very particular about their toys. And I, because there's a very, uh, uh, every toy doesn't have a demon it's not, but I am, I'm very aware of the spiritual world and I'm very particular about his toy. So he had this Spider-Man villain that I just decided to throw away because there's so many toys. I didn't think he'd miss it. And he calls me yesterday and I'm gone with Nia helping her. It was after his basketball game. He was like, mommy, I could tell he was crying. <laughs> Did you throw away my venom? And it's this black thing, and it's got this real long red tongue that, like, is blowing in the wind. And I set all his little characters up on the top shelf, and I saw that thing. I was like, "Mm mm-mm, I rebuke it, and I just threw it in the trash. Well, I didn't think he'd miss it, so he said, did you throw my toy away? Well, I'm a Christ follower, therefore I don't lie. Not even to a seven-year-old son who has no, he's not the boss of me. So I said... Yes, I did. And he's like, and I said, I didn't think you'd miss it. And I'm so sorry. And mommy will buy you something else. But Venom, I just, I really couldn't do him. And so, uh, so he, he wore me out yesterday. I was going somewhere. We're talking about, oh, so he, he's like, well, I'm upset. I'm upset at you. And I, and so because I'm not thinking about right now him asking me about that, I'm thinking about his wife. So I said, why are you upset at me? I need him to identify. Don't just be mad because you want to be mad. Why are you mad? Are you mad that I threw it away? Are you mad because you miss Venom? Are you just mad and you don't know why? I need him to be able to target that. He said, I'm mad because I wanted him to be able to shoot a, a web and you threw it away. Yeah. <laughs> and so because he could identify, 
He's mad because he wanted to play the video game. He just wanted somebody to shoot a web. All that he had, only Venom shot the web. But then we can solve the problem because guess what I went on Amazon and did is I bought a Spider-Man. Because Spider-Man does not have a demon with a tongue hanging out. So because he could identify why he was mad, the root is I wanted to be able to – he made a shot in the basketball game, and he thought he was just all of that, and he was. He was like, Jesus gave me the power. Mommy, I was like, whoosh, because I missed the game. So he was all – so he wanted to just, like, I guess, tie everything up in webs yesterday after his game. But because he could identify, not that, Mommy, you threw my toy away without asking, because then we would have talked about personal space. Mommy, I'm upset because I wanted to be able to shoot a web. Because he could identify that and because I'm not going to say I'm the mama and you don't tell me it's my house and I live here and all that kind of stuff. Then guess what? We got a Spider-Man. And just for good measure, we threw in another guy who doesn't have his tongue wagging out too. And I paid the $5.99, so it'll be delivered today. Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, Yes. So be I, be able to identify if I'm telling Ray, and this is not a current right now situation, but if I'm saying, hey, you know, I feel left out of church business. Why are you feeling left out? Because sometimes I'm not at some things because I'm taking care of the kids. So if I'm being unreasonable, I'm feeling left out because you're always going to do in church stuff. But then he'll say, Wendy, you were making soap. You were taking the kids here. We have to split up the responsibilities. Then I can get my emotions back in check and know that the thing is not about that thing. It's about something else. And so doing all of this, and some of us, um, especially from some different ethnic backgrounds some people may talk all the way through other ethnic backgrounds it's not a part of your history to talk through things but if you can articulate I'm feeling left out because of this he doesn't have to say no you can't be because I did and and you did and I said if he can help me identify where is the root of that thing coming from then that helps me it helps our relationship and it helps communication so it is a big deal to be able to articulate why you're feeling that way sometimes when you first start doing this well, why are you mad and you'll I don't know I, I don't I don't know why I'm mad and then you've got to women hormones are real but for the Christ follower we got to put him in check you can't just say you know menopause is for real cycles are for real but we got to be able to identify oh that's just essential. It's of the flesh. I'm uh, given my our society gives us a pass to act like a monkey, and it's so we just when we can identify and say, I feel this way. Why do you feel that way? Because of X, Y, Z. Being reasonable, it doesn't hurt for you to say, Well, what can I do to make it better? And then women sometimes, if if that's the conversation, then you want to fall out and foam at the mouth. I don't want to tell you how to love me. It's time for us to grow up because he's not going to know. It doesn't just like we didn't get a handbook of what to do with them. They didn't get a handbook of what to do with us. And until we articulate, this is what I need from you. Then they aren't going to know. So don't play those types of games. I saw that on uh, housewife. The, what is it? The, when the preachers were in preachers of LA, 
when Pastor Jay, the skateboard guy, he and his wife were coming home for something. He's like, well, what can I do to make it better? And she just fell all out. I'm not mad at her. I'm not going to tell you how to love me. You ought to know. No, they're not going to know. Because how you, he could read a book, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and that book may say, hey, buy her flowers. But if she doesn't like flowers, then he's missed it, and then you're mad again, and he spent your shoe money on flowers. So if you just speak up the first time, you'll save your shoe money and a whole lot of trouble. That's the bottom line. You have to be able to articulate, this is what I need. And most people are comfortable just being mad because being mad gives them an excuse not to tap into what they really feel. So if you're going to be mad and you're going to feel some kind of way, you should be able to articulate to me what you need from me in order to make you feel better. When X happened, I felt Y, I need Z. Uh, Number five, uh, fifth ingredient to have a horrible marriage. Give conditionally and receive cautiously. What that means is I give on condition. Usually it's tit for tat. Well, I did this for you. Well, when are you gonna do that for me? Well, look at all I'm doing for you. Well, look at all this. I'm doing all this. You have a laundry list of all the things that you do and you're critical of your spouse because you think their list is shorter than yours. And the only reason you're doing it is because you expect reciprocity. The second half of it is I receive cautiously. Well, why are you saying that? What do you mean by that? Why do you buy that? I don't want that. Can't somebody just do something out of the kindness of their heart without you being suspicious? It's the recipe for a horrible marriage. Number six, be unintentional about romance. Be unintentional about romance. Let me tell you something. Most marriages struggle because they just exist by default. The marriage you have is either by design You did it intentionally or it's by default. It just happened. What's the law of physics? Anything left to itself tends towards chaos and disorder. What's that rule of thermodynamics? Something like that. My wife said, yeah, it sounds good, baby. (laughs) It's something like that. (laughs) It's something like that. It's the second or third law of thermodynamics. If Coquetzo was here, it was going to confirm it. But if I leave, if I leave this, and that's the problem with evolution. If I leave this chair here, it's not going to over time get better. It's going to decay and get worse. If you just leave your marriage and just expect it to evolve into something better and you're unintentional about investing in your partner, it is not going to get better magically. It's it's actually going to tend toward chaos and disorder. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Be unintentional by romance. Number seven, amplify the negative in your relationship. Just keep talking about all the things you don't like about the relationship. And every time you do that, you know what you're doing? You're making a withdrawal from your love bank. Uh, All of us start our relationship with a certain account balance. That account balance is the result of deposits that we've made. When you were dating, you said nice things, you did nice things, you opened the door, you bought flowers, you bought chocolate, you did all these wonderful things. You entered into the marriage with a high account balance. 
So they say uh, uh, before marriage, opposites attract, and after marriage, opposites attack. So you get married, you get married, and you have this huge account balance. And you get married now, and then you start to amplify the things you don't like. Because before you married her, y'all didn't live together, and you didn't realize that there were some things that she did after you said goodbye and went home that she did behind closed doors. Now y'all living under the same roof, and you're having a hard time with it. The only thing you talk about is the things that you don't like. And every time you do that, you're making a withdrawal <clears throat> from the love bank. Now, psychologists say, and Marcy may confirm this, uh, every negative word that you hear requires seven positive reinforcements to even get it back to zero. So every time you make one withdrawal from your love bank, it is so significant that you have to make seven deposits just to get it back to where it was. And I wonder how many of us are making more withdrawals and wondering why our love bank is overdrawn. But nobody created this marriage that you hate. It ain't your mama didn't do it. Your uncle didn't do it. You did it. Why? Because you take this ingredient called negativity and pour it into the batter of your love cake. Number eight, and I think I got ahead of myself a little bit, avoid learning new communication skills. I am from Africa. African men do not go to therapists. <laughs> I don't need that. I am from Africa. In my country, <laughs> the women walk behind the men. You bring me my food on a platter and you walk out backwards. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not true. I'm being silly. All my African peeps, Justin, you in the house. Is that how you roll? Right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. That wouldn't go down. Pearl would not allow. I'm just playing. But most of us are unwilling to learn new tricks. Too proud to say, you know what, I have, an, I have a communication problem. I have difficulty communicating with my wife in a way that she understands. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. That your prayers be not hindered. Listen to this again. I'm talking to the men. That your prayers be not hindered. Ever wonder why doors aren't opening for you? Why life seems to be hard for you? Could be the fact that you're not honoring God's daughter the way you should. Because long before she was your wife, she was God's daughter. When Nia gets married, the way her husband, my future son-in-law, finds favor with me is directly connected to how he treats my daughter. And you're asking God for favor and mistreating his daughter? I'm talking to the men now. I'm talking to the men. Listen to what the scripture says. We often quote Proverbs 18. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. What's the last part of the verse? And obtains what? Favor. 
And we miss that there is a connection between the favor of God that we walk in and how we treat his daughter. And he says, live with your spouse according to understanding. Just learning how to communicate with her. And we're unwilling to do that. Too hard-headed, too knuckle-headed to learn new ways to communicate. It is a recipe. It is something that you have taken off. Your unwillingness to learn how to communicate better is a recipe, an ingredient that you've taken off the shelf and poured into the bowl and you have the marriage that you have because of your choice. Your grandma didn't do it. Your in-laws didn't do it. You are making this cake that you hate to eat. Nobody else going to eat that cake but you and your husband and your children. Now the cake has been baked. You put the ingredients in there and you don't want the cake. You made it. Number nine. I'll let you jump in there. Number nine, uh, be sure not to tell your partner what you need or want. We already talked about this. Let me tell you what that means. Give your spouse permission to speak freely. In the army, if I had something uh, 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 to tell my commanding officer that may have seemed out of order or out of protocol, the first thing we would say is permission to speak freely. Permission granted. And what that meant was I could speak honestly what I thought. I wasn't trying to be politically correct. I wasn't trying to toe the line. I was going to be honest in that moment. And most people, most husbands and wives, don't give their spouse permission to speak freely. Especially men. So we just suck it up. And then our wives are like, why don't you talk to me? <laughs> I need you to communicate. Yeah, the quiver. I need you to communicate. Well, the last time I tried to do that, though, you didn't give me permission. You shut me down. The next time I tried to speak freely, you shut me down. The third time I tried to speak freely, you didn't give me permission. You ignored the times when I tried to communicate how I really felt, you shut it down. So if, uh, pardon me if I don't talk to you anymore the way I used to. And if we just keep it superficial. Because you don't want me to communicate honestly. You just want me to tell you what you want to hear. You don't want me to tell you my honest feelings about how I feel about this. Remember, Adam and Eve were both naked and unashamed. They had permission to speak freely, even the things they didn't want to hear. And so what we do is <clears throat> uh, we want our partners to say all the right things, even when they don't mean it, even when it's not true. You can only do that for so long. Eventually, someone is going to speak the truth. And sometimes it's too late. Because we have sat with couples who have said, I didn't see that coming when their partner was walking out the door. I thought we were in love. No, you weren't. 
You made him say what you wanted to hear. You made her say what you wanted to hear. And over time, it is suffocating. And somebody just needs to breathe. And so somebody chooses to exit because we don't give each other permission to speak freely. Be sure to tell your partner. Be sure not to tell your partner what you need or want. And number 10, expect your relationship to be a fairy tale romance. Yeah, just expect him to come in singing to you. Shirt wide open like Fabio with his hair blowing in the wind. Just expect that. Just expect him to speak to you only in Spanish with a rose between his teeth. That's not real life. Is that going to happen? Absolutely. Do women deserve that? Do men deserve that? Should men be romanced by their wives? Absolutely. My wife romanced me for, come on, somebody. <laughs> romanced me for Valentine's Day. I got to walk around the table for you one time, baby. <laughs> romanced me for Valentine's Day. And uh, I didn't have to initiate it. And most women think that the man should do everything. No, you pursue me too. You let me know that I'm desirable too. Why I got to initiate everything? You buy me something sometimes. Because her mother said, if you're especially over 40, her mother said that you, he's supposed to pursue you. So a lot of the breakdown is because of teaching and history and not knowing any better. Because that's something I had to learn. I was taught as a young lady, it is unbecoming. You never give a guy your phone number. That was before cell phones. You don't tell him that you like him. You don't initiate anything because you will be called fast. That's what they call it when I would. Yeah, it's different, I guess, now. But, yes. And so a lot of things is that we, we have to learn what to do, you know, it's, yeah, just, it's not that, oh, I don't want to do this. It's just that if it's been instilled in you for your first 30 years, this is what you don't do. And then on the flip side of that, husbands, let me speak for the wives. It's not true for everybody, but especially for African-American women who grew up poor is this is what your mother started telling you at two. You don't need none from nobody. Don't let nobody walk over you. If somebody has something to say, you have your stuff together and you let them know you don't need nothing. At two, three, four, you don't need no man for nothing. It's okay if you get married, know how to change your own tire, make your own money, be able to take care of yourself, and don't let these white folk think you don't have no home training. I'm not being crass. I'm talking about this is from since we could talk, this is how you're, you're, and so a lot of these chips, they're not right and they're not godly, but we didn't just pull, they talk about this angry black woman. We didn't just wake up one day and say, this is a good day to just be mad. It's like all of the, it's not an excuse. I just want you to locate us so you know how to pray. And then we're challenging ourselves to grow out of that. From birth, it's been like, you keep your legs closed. You get an education. You do it. You do it. You do it. 
And it's been hard to receive from God. It's hard to receive from husbands. It's hard to receive from girlfriends because it's instilled that if you need anybody, you are weak and ain't nobody going to want you anyway. That's what we have been where I come from. And so, and then we see Oprah and it's like, tell them how you feel. You're like confused. Like, okay, Oprah could tell somebody how she feels because she has some money, but I got to go to work. Like, you see black women acting crazy on their jobs. Part of it is they need to submit to Jesus. But a lot of it, if their bosses challenge them, it has been drilled in. When you show up, you clock in, you do your work, nobody ought to say anything to you. So you cannot even receive because that means that you're not good enough. I don't want you. You're bad. And that came way before we got to the boss. So when you get a 30, 35, 40-year-old woman who's no longer in urban African-American town, we have the opportunities and the education to spread out. It is literally confusing. Like girlfriends, they'll call it girlfriends. Am I crazy? Because you just don't know when you've just been taught and instilled need or want was weakness. And the only way you can make it in this life is to take care of yourself. Not putting God in that mix, not putting anybody in that mix is that you take care of yourself so nobody has anything to say out of you. So there has been no middle ground of balance. You just come out swinging because you're afraid and you're ill-equipped. But now today we know better Today is a day we got to say, God, this does not reflect your love and your likeness. The love of God, which has already been shed abroad in my heart. So the reason why we're talking about 1 Corinthians 13 is I fight those attitudes with everything. I fight like I'm fighting for my life. I'm fighting tradition. When I hear somebody says something about me and I don't like it, I just want to go all off. I don't get the opportunity. I got to fight the love of God in me. The love of God in me, I have to put activate, not on my tradition. The love of God in me is gentle. The lo- Who do I think I am? Who do I think I am? But the whole time from birth, from diapers, it's been put on you. You do it. You do it. You don't need anybody. You do it. And so you get 46, and you're dealing with all this stuff, and you're like, God, this is not you. It doesn't reflect you. And you got to fight not even being insecure before God just to say, God, I'm flawed. I give you this thing. The love of God in me keeps no record of a suffered wrong. It takes no account to an evil done to it. The love of God in me, it's already there. I don't have to hop on one foot. I don't have to pray, Lord, give me more love. It says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. He's already, I've got a black card of love. All I've got to do is take it out and access it. I can't take it out and access it off of head knowledge. I can't lay my hands and anoint myself with oil and it's not going to come. I got to see this word. I got to speak it. And then I have to act, act. I have to walk it out. So I gave you a location for the women. Women, that means that because you can locate, you can't sit there. When you walk from under that exit sign, you got to leave it right in here. Good. Good. Fantastic. No. Awesome. Awesome, awesome word. Uh, awesome, awesome word. Um, can you romance me though, baby? No, I'm just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just playing, I'm just playing. No, no, fantastic word, fantastic word. Here, yes, yes, very good. Uh, here's, here's why we say all of that. I said, what's the connection between you before me and all of that? 
the person that you're married to is imperfect. You also are imperfect. We're all imperfect. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What, what that means is we have to make room and allowance for each other's imperfections. We have to make room for that. Otherwise, otherwise, we will live the rest of our lives frustrated and unfulfilled. Make room for each other's failures. Make, rooms for each, make room for each other's shortcomings. Because that, in essence, is the key to living a happy and fulfilled, and room for yourself to grow as well. Room for yourself to grow as well. And so when you read the text where it says, love never gives up, that means I'm going to give somebody else room for their shock. I'm not going to give up on you no matter what. When the scripture says, love cares more for self than for others, we can go back over that whole text. But all throughout that text, what the scripture is saying, love will always make room and allowances for the shortcomings in others. Here's why that's important. We, we, I don't think we closed with this. We were supposed to close with this last week, but this is where we'll close. Um, We said, don't be an ideal worshiper. Most of us become fixated on our ideal situation, and it robs us of contentment in our current situation. Most of us dream of the perfect wife, the perfect husband, and we become so fixated on all the things that we wish they had that it robs us, it steals the opportunity for us to be content with who God blessed us with. No matter how hard I try, I will never be perfect. No matter how hard Wendy tries, she will never be perfect. But what we can do is learn the lessons of contentment. Contentment simply means making the most of what you have and being willing to grow. Being willing to grow. Uh, contentment doesn't mean you settle for less than what you know you're capable of, for less than your potential. Contentment doesn't say, okay, yeah, I'm just going to settle. It will always be this way. No, 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 no. Contentment says I will make the most of this opportunity and I will be willing to grow. And that's one of the things we say to all couples. Before you get married, ask yourself the capacity question. Do I have the capacity or does this person have the capacity to grow with me? Because the person you stand at the altar with today, 10 years from now might evolve. And most people stay standing at the altar while the other person continues to grow. One person stays stuck. And if you don't grow together, you grow apart. One person's growing, other person's stuck. And one person's growing, and the other person's stuck. And if you don't grow together, growing together looks like a vine wrapping around a tree or a plant wrapping around a trellis. If the husband and wife are not growing together in the same direction, I guarantee you, you're growing apart. And so I encourage you, I encourage you, to trade in your...
Something went wrong with the server. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think I activated his voice activated. Uh, what was I saying? Grow together in the same direction. It's huge. But you can never get to that point until you're first saying, I will be content. I will make the most of the choices that I've made in this marriage. This is my spouse. This is my husband, my wife for life. And we will grow together in the same direction. That'll never happen while you're fixated on something that is ideal. And here's the close for today. What's the close for today? It says you cannot covet what you don't have and be content with what you do have simultaneously. You can't wish you were with Billy Bob and be content with Billy Ray. Come on, somebody. I went to Arkansas with that one, somebody. <laughs> Your heart can't be longing for Billy Bob and still be content being with Billy Ray. So what you going to do? What you going to do? You're going to love the one you're with. You're going to love the one you are with and not wish that your life would be better if you were with somebody else. You will make the decision, I will love this imperfect person that I'm with because I too am imperfect. And here's my final close right here. The reason we're going to call this message Sister Wives is because of the message I'm going to do next week. We're going to do next week. And when we say this thing about you can't be happy with who you're with if you're thinking about the person you, want, you wish you were with, we're going to look at the Bible and we're going to look at the life of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. Because Jacob's ideal was Rachel. She was the one that was pretty. He ends up with Leah and he's discontent. But as you begin to study this story of sister wives, oh my goodness, there's so much power in learning the lessons of contentment with who you're with instead of longing for what you want. We're going to talk about that next week and learning the power of loving the one you're with. Next Sunday, you do not want to miss this message, sister wives. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your people this morning.